2: Executive Leaders Radio.
3: You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio, broadcast from the law offices of Pretori Law in Tysons, Virginia. This is your host, Herb Cohen, with my co-hosts, Joe Applebaum Potomac Companies, Brian Chandler, Pretori Law, Mark Haas, Association for Enterprise Growth, Bob Sprigg, Yes And, and Shirley Mowry, Hertzbach & Company. We have a great lineup of guests for you on our show today, Mr. Mark Haas. Please give us the rundown.
4: Yes, today we have Martin Mayorga, president of Mayorga Organics, Jeff Shen, President of Red Team Consulting, John Fraser, President of ASM Research, and Tom Stauber and Mike Javera, Managing Partners and Co-Founders of Exiologic Solutions.
3: Well, let's get to our first guest, Martin Mayorga, President Mayorga Organics. Martin, what is Mayorga Organics? What are you guys
5: doing? We're primarily a specialty coffee company that uh, focuses on uh, giving farmers opportunities through other specialty products.
3: Uh, give me that again. What do you mean?
5: Well, we started as uh, coffee importers and roasters over 20 years ago, and then we learned that uh, we can provide quality products to uh, consumers in the U.S. while helping farmers with other products like chia, cacao, honey, other diversified products.
3: From Latin America?
5: Specifically from Latin America with the purpose of supporting small farmers and communities. Uh Uh-huh. How large or how small is this team? We have about 60 people on staff right
3: now. Uh Uh-huh. And how did you get a job with this company?
5: I started it... uh, When I was young, in my late teens, early 20s. Uh Uh-huh. And where are you from originally? I was born in Guatemala. Go ahead. And uh, we left Guatemala after a major earthquake. We moved to Nicaragua from there. And then? There was a revolution. We left there, uh, went to Costa Rica, had a good time, and were asked to leave after a year. Why? Because all the Nicaraguans went to Costa Rica and they were overcrowded. And then where'd you go? Went to Peru, and there were some issues there with something called the shining path and uh, a lot of terrorism. And then where'd you go? Came to the U.S. Uh, as refugees of the Nicaraguan Revolution. We were in Miami for about a year, a year and a half, and then came up to the D.C. area.
3: Well, you moved around a lot between the ages of 8 and 12, a bunch of
5: different countries. How many brothers and sisters do you have? I have two older brothers, one older sister. I'm the youngest.
3: You're the youngest of four. And uh, when you arrived in the U.S. after that experience,
5: moving to those different countries,
3: 8 to 12, how did you feel?
5: It was nice. Everything was safe and clean, and, uh, you know, there was. it was a duality. It was the kind of remembering what I had seen in, in the, the poverty and the struggle that I had seen in Latin America, but then also the excitement for the opportunities that a country like the U.S. that provides opportunities. What do you
3: mean the excitement for the opportunities? you actually remember that when you were 12?
5: I remember clean roads and safe cities and being able to, you know, not worry about, you know, gunshots at night and things how like you
3: young were you when you started making money uh,
5: I was about 12 as soon as I came to the US and I learned that you could do things like mow lawns and shovel driveways and things like
6: that uh-huh Robert so y- with a background like that you'd be um, it'd be understandable if you wanted to sort of kick back and enjoy this sort of uh, winning the lottery of landing in Miami compared to where you'd been before what made you want to take on the risk of uh, starting a business
5: I think it was two things. Number one, in a you know self-focused way, I, I saw opportunity. I got to see kids that had things that I only dreamt of having—new uh, cars and things that I had seen that uh, you know my family couldn't afford. But then also carrying the sense of responsibility for, like I tell people, had I been born a hundred feet one direction or the other, I would have been one of the kids collecting wood to try to you know make a dollar to feed my you know help feed my family. So there was responsibility, and there was also excitement for myself. Mm-hmm. Surely,
0: it sounds like drive is one of a big characteristics that you have how young were you when that first started do you recall any incidents
5: i think once i got a taste of the fact that i could make my own money it was exciting but then more importantly um when i really wanted a bike which was shortly after we moved to the dc area and uh, i saved up about 100 bucks and took i think two three buses to toys r us bought a bike put it together in the parking lot and rode it home I remember actually uh, very sweet moms would stop me and tell me it wasn't safe to ride my bike on Rockville Pike, but uh, I was super excited because it, it was freedom. It was working hard for something, earning it. It was mine and I could do whatever I wanted with it. And it gave me a good taste of what hard work could actually bring.
3: Mark, uh,
4: What do your employees expect of you?
5: I'm not sure what they expect of me. I think uh, I do a good job of communicating that um, we have a purpose. And I think they expect me to m- lead them through that purpose. And I think wait, for me, wait, wait,
3: what do you mean you have a purpose? What are you talking about?
5: Uh, in about 2012, when we recognized how powerful we could, uh, how powerful it could be to help uh, farmers through consumer dollars, we we shifted our company to a purpose-driven. What do you mean
3: focus. how powerful it could be? What are you talking about?
5: You know, ultimately, I started this business to help a family member that I was having a hard time making a living because the supply chain was so bloated with people making money in the middle. And all we do is go straight to the farmers and represent farmers and consumers. We want great product for consumers and we want equity and uh, fairness for farmers. And we've been successful with it. And we now have attracted people through our purpose, which is literally to eliminate systemic poverty in Latin America through responsible trade.
3: give me that again?
5: To eliminate systemic poverty in Latin America through responsible trade of artisanal foods is our purpose. And how
3: are you doing that?
5: basically by using common sense. Uh, we're taking 300-year-old uh, supply chains that are leftover colonialism, and we're going direct to farmers as humans and, and people that grow our food.
3: Mm-hmm. Brian? So,
2: Martin, you talked to us earlier about how you, when, you're eight, when you're 18, you were uh, 18, you went to Nicaragua, right? Yes. And uh, in furtherance of a business opportunity, and I think it relates to what you're just talking about now, about these supply chains. Can you tell us a little bit about that trip?
5: you know ultimately i had an idea and i realized that um there were a lot of products that people were consuming in the u.s and paying a lot of money for i felt that i could be involved in the processing of those products to help
3: how young were you 18. and what happened with an airplane
5: with an airplane? oh well i had discussed it with my dad that i had some ideas of ways to try to make some money and also uh
3: what'd your dad tell you when you were 18.
5: get your butt on a plane and stop talking about it
3: and what happened i got on a plane uh-huh. And, uh huh. And what'd you do?
5: I went down and, uh, where? I went down to Nicaragua when back in the day where you had to have at least two, three guns on you because it was just, uh, Ortega had just left power and everybody was armed and, you know, and drove three hours to, uh, actually it was five hours back then to the north to a cigar factory that I used to go to with my dad. When and I then what? I worked out a deal to, uh, develop a cigar line and just process cigars there. Where, where'd the
3: money come from? Where'd the funding come from?
5: Uh, people trusting me and people hearing me out that I wanted to do something and I was willing to work hard for it. Wait,
3: wait, wait, wait. You're from a foreign country. Uh, there's people running around with guns and they trusted you and they funded you?
5: Ultimately, I think, you know, I was an entrepreneur before it was cool to be an entrepreneur and I think I was doing things uh, for the right reasons and I think people wanted to help a young guy out that was trying to do things that were interesting and uh, hopefully beneficial to them as well.
6: Mm-hmm. Robert? So when you first got into business and you connect coming to the United States with having money and that leading to freedom, it seems like you'd probably have a lot more money if you weren't trying to bring your business around to help farmers in Latin America. What makes you...
5: I've been accused that? of being a non-profit, uh, even though we're a very profitable company. Um, I just believe that responsible business should be more than just saying that you have a you know, diversity or, or a sustainability You know aspect to your business i think it has to be built into the business and i purposely run very lean i'm the only owner of the business and i run on on lean margins and lean profit um but we scale and with scale those numbers go up
3: so you, you you're really driven by this purpose aren't you
5: oh yeah big time what do you mean it's powerful when you can actually see that consumers reach out to us every day by the dozens and by the hundreds saying how much they love our product and then producers and farmers and communities benefit from that. I mean, it's just, you see something that just works and that actually helps people. So
3: you're you're the supply chain that's disrupted 300 years' worth of in, of middlemen.
5: In a very, very small way, yeah.
3: Uh, it sounds like in a pretty significant way. So you're going to Latin America. You're finding farmers that have stuff that's in demand here in the United States. And you're the bridge. Correct. Uh-huh.
5: And I think more than anything, we see the farmers as our first customer, which is we, we provide value for them so that we can provide quality and value for our customers. So we really engage both with a mutual level of consideration and equity and respect.
3: How, how, how high and is up? What's the end game here?
5: It's a pretty big industry. Uh, I mean, we I see There's as a lot of
3: stuff in the United States that we need from Latin America, in other words. There are.
5: I mean, we're doing over four and a half million pounds of chia right now a year, which I never would have guessed and didn't even know that much chia was sold. Uh, in this country.
3: Wow. So
5: we've scaled and uh, we continue to scale. Now we're diversifying out. We have a 24,000 square foot facility in Maryland. We're building one in Miami that's a little bit bigger. Uh, And I'll be putting in uh, mills in uh, Nicaragua, Peru, Costa Rica within the next five years.
3: Wow. What's the website address of this organization?
5: It's mayorgaorganics.com. That's M-A-Y-O-R-G-A organics.com. And it's the same thing for Instagram as well. We have really good pictures of our farmers.
3: And um, th- th- let me have the spelling of that one more time.
5: M-A-Y-O-R-G-A mm-hmm. organics.
3: Organics.com. And what kind of stuff are you guys selling?
5: Well, we have great coffee right now, all organic. So we only do organic because part of being responsible is taking care of the environment. Um, so we mm-hmm. do organic coffee. We do chia, honey, cacao as well. Cool. we can speak with
3: Moin Mayorga. President of the Organics here on Executive Business Radio. We'll be back in a moment right after this break.
7: Chuck Ocultry.
3: And Chuck, what organization are you with?
7: The National Conference Center and West Belmont Place Event Center.
3: Uh-huh. And what makes this organization special?
7: The National Conference Center was built um, to be the nation's premier uh, meeting and event venue. Um, and it's not a traditional hotel. Mm-hmm. So even though we have 900 guest rooms and all the services and amenities of a traditional hotel, mm-hmm. because of our size, mm-hmm. we're able to uh, deliver um, an environment that is very conducive to uh, learning, development. And who are your clients? Our clients are uh, many of the, the Corporate 100, Corporate 500, as well as uh, because of our location in Leesburg, Virginia, mm-hmm. we do a lot of business with Washington, D.C. Uh, government agencies. Mm-hmm. And what do you like about your job? What I like about is uh, is we've had the opportunity to bring new leadership to the National Conference Center, blend with the Tremendous service team that's built a reputation over the years uh, for great service. And uh, we've had a lot of fun um, helping our clients take advantage of the 65-acre campus. How about you personally? What, what do
3: you enjoy about your job?
7: I enjoy that, that we've uh, had a very, very, very successful turnaround in mm-hmm. uh, the two and a half years, mm-hmm. uh, taking the National Conference Center Uh, from where it was in 2014 Mm -hmm. with the new, new ownership, we've Mm -hmm. literally doubled the revenue. And what's your,
3: what's your role in the organization again?
7: Uh, my role is chief marketing officer. And what's that mean? It, good question. It means that, uh. Uh, we're involved with branding, uh, mm-hmm. everything to do with the sales, the marketing, the promotion, and um, the business development. So you're actually going conference. out
3: there and you're actually involved with helping bring in the clients. Exactly, yes. And sir. I guess the way you're doing that is you're actually talking to with a lot of the clients, making sure that you know, your services are valuable.
7: We talk to a lot of the clients, and we do a lot of uh, events What's as well. Super. What's the website address of the organization? www.conferencecenter.com. Let me hear that one more time. www.conferencecenter.com. This has been your business spotlight. And your name is? Jeff Lawson.
3: And Jeff, what organization are you with? I'm with Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And w- what do you guys do? What kind of stuff are you doing that's special?
8: Well, we manage uh, conference centers and hotels and we're currently managing the National Conference Center in Leesburg, Virginia.
3: National Conference Center. How large or how small is this
8: organization? Um, the conference center itself is 900 rooms in size, 350,000 square feet of meeting space, dining facilities for 850, uh, exercise facility all set on 61 acres of land
3: wow this is a large organization isn't it it is very large Uh uh-huh and what's your role in the organization
8: i'm the general manager and i have oversight of the uh, property and all the hospitality services that occur
3: well what's the general manager supposed to do with this large
8: facility Make sure I have a, make sure eight executive community members and a, and a full uh, staff of
3: two hundred and ten do their daily jobs. So, how many folks do you have running through your halls on a weekly basis, or daily basis, or annual basis? What's that look like? Well, on a
8: weekly basis, on a full house, we'll have uh, nine hundred per night, um, seven nights, uh, sixty three hundred, which translates to about
3: twenty thousand meals a week. Wow and uh, your job are you working nine to five or do you end up having to work evenings and early mornings and weekends and stuff like that
8: no i'd say i'm always on duty uh-huh do you, wh- what do you enjoy about your job meeting people working with some of the finest hospitality people in virginia which is my team and meeting our clients because they're wonderful
3: so you're helping your clients plan their events
8: well, we help plan. Uh, they are there for some form of education that goes on at one end of our business, and at the other end of our business, they're there for social catering events, uh, weddings and such.
3: So you're, you're, well you're running a 24-by-7 facility, aren't you?
8: We are. Uh
3: huh. What's the website address of this organization?
8: Conferencecenter.com.
3: Let me have that again conferencecenter.com and your name again is Jeff Lawson and the name of the organization Lakota Hotels and Resorts and this has been your business spotlight we're back you're listening to Executive Leaders Radio this is your host Herb Cohen we'd like to introduce Jeff Chen who is the president of Red Team Consulting Jeff what is Red Team Consulting what are you doing
9: Red Team is a business that helps other companies grow in the federal market primarily that involves providing proposal capture and pricing support
3: mm-hmm. how large or how
9: small is the team we have eight full-time uh, internal employees and a little over a hundred consultants. And where are you from originally? I'm from Persippany, New Jersey, up north. Uh-huh. How many brothers and sisters? I have an older brother and an older sister. So I'm, the, I'm the baby of the family. You're the youngest
3: of three. Huh? Mm-hmm. What was it like growing up in your neighborhood when you were a kid?
9: We, we had a great neighborhood. It was um, lots of kids, um, kind of prototypical middle class in northern New Jersey, and uh, it was a lot mm-hmm. of fun growing up.
3: A lot of Asian kids like yourself?
9: There were a good number of Asian kids, mm-hmm. um, but also I had a lot of uh, Jewish friends and Italian friends. It was a pretty diverse area in mm-hmm. that sense.
3: What kind of sports did you play?
9: I played a lot of sports, I guess, uh, kids my age played, played a lot of basketball, football, um, so played what, soccer what on occasion. You,
3: what was your role in playing those sports in the neighborhood?
9: Well, a lot of times people needed a little bit of a, a push to come outside and play. So oftentimes myself uh, and my best friend... Uh, would call the others and say let's let's go outside and play. Uh, even uh, even when it rained or drizzled, we would c- encourage others to c- mm-hmm. come out and play. So
3: you're the organizer, huh? What's that have to do with um, building this thing called Red Team Consulting?
9: I think a lot of times uh, I- there's a direct correlation. A lot of times, um, you know, people have ideas, people are thinking, want to do things. I kind of gave people that little nudge. I convinced them to say, you know what, maybe you should try something. Mm-hmm.
6: Robert, your turn. So even though there were a lot of Asians in your area, did you? Have feelings when you were growing up of being different and having to uh, to do anything different because of that?
9: I, I, I did. I, I didn't feel like I entirely fit in with um, any particular group. My background and upbringing felt a little bit different, whereas my Asian friends were playing piano or violin or playing tennis. I was never really in organized music or, or sports growing up.
6: And... Uh, in some ways, you know, you had to work a little harder, I think, in that regard. Does that play out these it, days? It,
9: it does. I really um, did my best to to fit in with whatever group of friends, whether I was, you know, in elementary school, middle school, especially in high school, um, trying to find ways to fit in with different groups.
3: Isn't that what you're doing for your clients now, trying to help them fit in and pick up the contracts?
9: No, I think there's a maybe an indirect correlation there. Um, you know, certainly we're trying to look for ways for our clients to help, w- you know, win and grow in, in, in federal contracting. Uh-huh. Um, but a lot of times it's helping them grow into certain markets that they're not familiar. Mm-hmm. And so us providing that encouragement. Yeah, you're
3: like the master connector. You were as a kid and you are nowadays. Yep. Uh, let's see. Shirley.
0: Who was the bigger influence on you, mom or dad? It was definitely
9: m- my mom. Both parents were influential, but my mom has more of a direct correlation as to who I am today.
0: And where are your parents originally from?
9: My parents are both uh, were both born in China, outside of Shanghai, and they migrated or immigrated to Taiwan because of the revolution. Both when they were very young kids.
0: And how does that upbringing sort of affected your life as a as a child?
9: Well, they they certainly took a lot of risk. I think as as kids growing up and then moving to Taiwan, and then took an even greater risk, uh, moving to the states in the early sixties. They didn't know each other back then, but they met and you know married in New York City. But that has very much a lot to do with with um, you know who I am as a person.
3: But what, what, what do you mean? What are you talking about?
9: Well, first of all, taking risk and uh, having to take on those challenges. You know, when I joined the Red Team Consulting as a second employee, um, you know, I didn't make salary for close to a year. Now that doesn't seem like such a big deal when compared to my parents moving to two different countries in their life. Um, but I think that was partly ingrained in, in who I who I was. Mm-hmm.
4: Mark. <coughs> what skill did you have or characteristic did you have that you're most proud
9: of growing up? Uh, I would say there were a couple of a couple of things. I'd, I'd like to say that um, a lot of what made me successful as a, as a child or in high school or what have you is I, I put in a little bit of extra effort when compared to to some of my peers, um, and that went a long way. And also, I, I tried really, really hard to fit in, as I was mentioning earlier, to different groups, and that just takes a certain type of a personality approach to to work with different different groups give us an
3: example of how you put in extra effort what do you mean
9: well you know as as a kid growing up in high school you know i didn't have a very particular group of friends i was uh, not to joke but probably the dumbest asian kid and and probably the most athletic asian kid when compared to the athletes and so you know growing up you have to find a way to fit in until those different groups and i was accepted by everyone just because um, you know, I made it about them, not about me, in terms of what their interests mm-hmm. were.
4: Mark? So what other activities you engaged in, in high school?
9: Uh, two in particular. I was very heavily involved in speech and debates, um, as well as uh, my cross-country and track team.
4: What, what uh, influence did that have on you? What did you learn from that debate?
9: So they both had a... a equal influence. I know from speech and debate, it helped me understand that whatever I did later in life, I knew it would involve some element of of public speaking or interacting with uh, with people in a public form. Um, And then from track, um, you know, I always felt that the effort you put in, you immediately see the results. Um, And and being captain of the team is, you know, hopefully influencing others positively.
4: Is that related to your leadership of your company?
9: It, It is very much so. I never, I never really aspired to be president of anything or captain of anything you kind of get placed in these positions sometimes when you don't start a company and i got more joy as the captain of my track team seeing others that get better rather than myself especially as i continue through high school i feel the same way today about red team consulting
3: Mm right
2: it sounds like when you were in
9: your youth you worked hard but you weren't necessarily 100 percent
2: sure where you're going professionally Um, but also you seem to have a um, a, a trend to go a little differently than some of your other family members. Can you talk a little bit
9: about that? Sure, sure. I, I think um, there was maybe some Asian, old school Asian influence that goes in and when, when parents raise their kids that I think my sister always was destined for a path in financial and accounting. My brother was destined to be um, a doctor and I was supposed to be on the path to be a lawyer but uh, realized I hated taking LSATs and uh, didn't, didn't think that was the right path for me so I, I went down the business route and it, it worked out
3: well, the, you, you made a quote earlier and we were talking in the green room color to life what's that all about color to life
9: well I, I think you know as you as you work and you know it's hard to decide the industry you're eventually going to end up in you, no one can ever predict when they graduate college what they're really going to do 10 to 20 30 years from now but I think as long as you find people that you enjoy working with the clients that you enjoy working with, I mean, that's what adds the color to life versus what it is you actually do.
3: Well, wh- what do you mean by that? What are you talking about?
9: Well, I, I think for me personally, I get more joy out of working with my coworkers, working with our clients, working with our consultants, seeing them succeed, seeing them improve, seeing them grow, than I do out of any type of personal growth for my for myself. I mean, I just that for me it adds the enjoyment.
6: mm Hmm. Bob. So you said you had to work real hard to fit in, but in some ways, winning at proposals is working hard to stand out. How do you make that jump?
9: <laughs> you know, that's, that's good. I, um, we w- you'll rarely ever see um, red team publicly take credit for any particular win. It's always a behind-the-scenes congratulations um, and hope that they continue to use us for growth. But, you know, we want to fit in more than we want to stand out, and that's just how I am as a person as well.
3: Mm -hmm. What's the best part of your job?
9: Best part really is getting to work with um, all of our staff and coworkers. You you work hard to build a culture where um, you get to find people that you enjoy Mm -hmm. being around. uh, Are you married married or single? I'm married with three kids. Uh What's
3: the similarity between being the, it says you're the president of Red Team Consulting and a dad. What's the similarity?
9: Well, there's a a lot of similarity in that, um, you know, you kind of mentor you know your kids as you mentor your staff and a lot of times you have your staff present better ideas or better ways to do things as my kids point out to me every day <laughs> um, and so you try to do your best to listen to all inputs and then you know you have the say but um, they also have a say in the process. Do
3: you, really see, do you really see a similarity between the two between being a dad and being the president? Uh,
9: absolutely absolutely you have to provide the guidelines the rules of what you can or cannot do um, and then you give them the tools for growth mm-hmm. um, and you know keep them on the path to, for them to continue to grow and that is what gives me joy, whether personally or professionally.
3: And you mentioned you were involved with track when you were a kid, and, and, and give, me the, give me what track meant to you and, and what that's done to you, what you've learned from track.
9: I mean, track for me was such a big impact of my life. It's not something I did a lot as a kid. I just kind of fell into it in high school because I realized I was not good enough in literally any other varsity sports. So so why not try track across country? And for me, as I mentioned earlier, there's a direct correlation between effort and outcome. The harder you work, the more you see the results. And it just provided that first opportunity for me to mentor and see others grow as well as I did in performing track. You're all about
3: hard work. What's the website address for this organization known as Red Team Consulting?
9: The website address is redteamconsulting.com, all one word.
3: Let me hear that one more time.
9: Red team consulting.com
3: we've been speaking with Jeff Shen president of Red Team Consulting here on executive leaders radio Don't forget to visit our website executiveleadersradio.com learn more about our executive leaders We we'll back in a moment right after this break one help building your business with help from the show's CEOs our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities grow your sales connect you help you raise money all the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. And your name and the name of the organization.
10: So my name's Jennifer. I am the Director of Operations at Quality First Solutions.
3: And Quality First Solutions, what kind of stuff do you do and who are your customers?
10: So, we work with organizations to reduce their costs. So, we typically work in the healthcare industry um, and we work with purchasing and finance to look at all of their expenses and then find ways to reduce their costs.
3: How do you go about uh, influencing you, getting your customers to choose you? What do you guys do?
10: So we work really hard to develop good relationships with all of our customers. So we actually help our customers by providing free education to them. And we also offer free benchmarking services to our clients uh, to engage in the initial relationship.
3: So you're giving your clients a sense of what you can do for them or what they should do for themselves and also what the basic costs are. It sounds like a pretty smart move, so you're helping educate the industry. What, what, what's, a, what's, a, what's your website address?
10: It's qualityfirstsolutions.com. Let me have that one more time. Qualityfirstsolutions.com.
3: Qualityfirstsolutions.com. And this has been your business spotlight. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohn. We'd like to introduce John Frazier, who's the president of ASM Research. John, what is ASM Research? What are you guys doing?
11: ASM Research is an IT systems integrator uh, and a managed services provider primarily focused on the federal marketplace.
3: Uh huh. How large or how small is this team?
11: It's about 1,400 employees today.
3: 1,400 employees. Where are you from originally?
11: I grew up in Clarksburg, West Virginia.
3: How many brothers and sisters?
11: I have one brother, one sister, and they're both older than I am.
3: So you're the youngest of three growing up in Clarksburg, West Virginia. And what was going on with you eight to 14 years old?
11: Well, at eight years old, I I started off selling potholders my mom gave me a loom kit and a and a bag of looms to to go and and make potholders and i made so many of them that uh i gave them away to friends and family
3: and then uh, you began to sell them and what what gave you the idea to begin selling them who did you sell them to and how did you sell them
11: well the idea of selling them i needed money um and uh i or at least i wanted money for the things that uh, i wanted and i went around the neighborhood and sold them door to door uh, one by one,
3: you went around selling them door to door, one by one. And when you were sixteen, you got a job. What were you doing then?
11: At that point, I was working in an ice plant. Um, and an uh, ice
3: plant. Yes. Uh huh. What did you do different than the other kids that worked in that ice plant?
11: Well, the principal job that I had was bagging ice. And uh, and when as I looked around, there were many other things that needed to be done. So I stepped in and worked in the stores, stocked the store. Uh, we. Uh, did you get
3: paid extra for doing that no, stuff? No, same minimum so wage. Wh- why would you? So you're making minimum wage, and you're doing all this extra work. Why would you do that?
11: It just needed to be done.
3: What's that have to do with being the, uh, it says you're the president of ASM Research, which is 1,400 people. What's that have to do with that?
11: I think as we, as we look around, it's, it's kind of a component of providing great service back to our customer base. And when I look back at my ice plant days, it's uh, providing great customer service there as well.
6: Uh-huh. Bob? So you said uh, you started with the potholder business selling door-to-door. It takes a lot of confidence to go and start marketing something to neighbors, especially at eight years old. What gives you that confidence?
11: I would say my mother gave me that, helped me build that confidence. Uh, I mean, she gave me the, the device to create the potholders and uh, she told me, you know, here's a here's a tagline, you need to go out door to door and don't be afraid to be rejected. And I would say it was uh, one in four that I made a sale and three times I would be rejected and I just get up and keep going.
6: How did you deal with that rejection?
11: I just kind of pushed it off to the side and focused on the positive aspects of, of what was coming back when I made the sale.
6: And it wasn't easier to just ask your mom for money?
11: no that was not going to happen that was very (laughs) clear when i was young that was just not going to happen
6: surely
0: so tell us a little more about your mom and the influence that she had so so
11: my mom when i was growing up she was a homemaker she was a substitute teacher she was a volunteer um, and those aspects really influenced my life Uh, she was around a lot when i was growing up she was involved in 4-h i was a member of 4-h all the way through my ending days of high school and just having her there and, and helping her shape me during those those years was very impactful
0: how did you feel having her be around quite that much?
11: I think it was awesome, frankly. Um, it, it, it created an extraordinary opportunity for myself to have her part of, of, of my life as I was uh, growing up. And I kind of looked around the other kids. It's like, well, where's your, your mom's not, here, not there with you? Um, and I was just proud that she was there with me.
3: Mork?
4: <clears throat> Is there a particular quote or philosophy that you've carried from your childhood?
11: Uh one of the things I was also involved in in high school was Key Club. Um, I was a state officer with Key Club, and uh, it was a very a service organization as well, just like 4-H. and And that element of uh, service, um, putting service above yourself, mm-hmm. and and focused on giving back, was uh, very impactful.
4: So ASM has 1,400 employees. Is that part of the credo or philosophy of the culture of the company?
11: It, it's not necessarily a spoken credo, but certainly being engaged in community and giving back to areas that are tied to our customer base is, uh, is very much an impactful element in the company,
4: yes. Mm-hmm. What, what areas of, of philanthropy are you or could you or might you be involved in?
11: Uh, one of one of the areas is uh, we sponsor some golf tournaments. We sponsor runs. We sponsor things that individuals bring forward um, within a company that are near and dear to their heart. Um, probably one of the more impactful things is a uh, MOD golf tournament. Uh, general Maud was a, a general officer in the Pentagon during nine eleven, and that was in our client space. So that actually impacted uh, us to really invoke and in getting mm-hmm. in more into the giving back to the community. Brian?
2: Uh, speaking of the Pentagon, you told us an interesting story about how you were seventeen. You elected to um, convince your parents to allow you to enlist in the Army. What brought you to that decision? Uh, You're busy doing a lot of different jobs, working in an ice house, et cetera. What brought you to that decision at such a young age, and what did you learn from it?
11: So I I mentioned I grew up in in Clarksburg, West Virginia, I I really felt in order to create an opportunity for myself that I needed to move out of that area, and uh, the Army was certainly a way to uh, facilitate that. I I knew at a young age I actually wanted to join the Army, um, probably 15, 16 years old, and my parents signed signed on the dotted line for me at 17 so I could enter into the Army. And uh, actually the best thing I ever did, uh, created an opportunity for me to meet up with ASM as well as meeting my bride as well while I was in the military.
2: And, and you, you, you met up with ASM because uh, you were involved in technology at some level, right, many years ago?
11: Correct, yes. In uh, 1983, uh, ASM was fielding an IT solution there at Fort Dix where I was stationed. Uh, I was one of the principal users of that system, and uh, upon completion of my military career, they offered a job to me.
3: Kathleen, you've been uh, working with John Frazier for how long now?
12: Uh, just about four years.
3: And what's your role in the organization?
12: I'm the Director of Marketing and Communications.
3: Director of Marketing and Communications. What's John's reputation in the organization, within the organization?
12: I think people view him as a very honest leader who leads by example. He's also got a very much a growth mindset, both for the company, we, we move into many different areas, and also for individuals within the company.
3: It's interesting that the first thing you mentioned was that he was known as an honest leader. Is that what you, was, was that what you said?
12: Yes, he's very transparent.
3: That's interesting. You don't normally hear that in the newspapers or in the media about somebody being honest. Why, why, why is that so important?
12: I think he ties everything back to our corporate core values. He was the 13th employee of ASM, and I think he still likes people to feel I mean, he is. He leads that way. He, he knows what everybody does in the company. He's very much aware of what's going on, and he wants everybody else to know the same.
3: Does uh, John go around and shake hands or does he go sit in his office all the time?
12: He's definitely a go-around-shaking-hands kind of leader.
3: Why would he do that kind of stuff?
12: I think it's important to him to know what's going on and to have people know him.
3: John, why do you do that? Why don't you go sit in your fancy-dancy office?
11: When when I first came to ASM, the uh, owner of the company would come around and deliver paychecks by hand and make a connection with each one of the employees and talk to them about what do you do, why is it important? And why is it important for our customers? And I think making sure that we have that established connection between our employees, what the work that we're doing, and the value that it brings to our customers is super important to who we are as an organization.
3: Where'd you get that, ca- what, what is that characteristic? And where'd you get that from?
11: I, I think it's, an, I go right back to my mother and instilling of uh, you know, what's important in life and making sure that you're giving back in life uh, is extremely important to me and to our company and just the values that I grew up with.
6: Robert, John, you said in the Ice House the extra work had to be done. Why you?
11: There wasn't anybody else there to do it and it needed to be done. And, uh, you know, it, it, rather than sitting around and doing nothing and getting paid for doing nothing, I, I think that you should be doing something for what it is that you're getting paid for.
6: A lot of people would make the opposite uh, conclusion, mm-hmm. though.
11: Yes, that's true. But that's not who I am. Was that mom again? I would say so. Yes.
6: What would you
3: get from dad that you bring to work every day?
11: Um my dad's very hard worker I mean he would work from the time I mean I, he would go to work before I woke up in the morning and he would not come back until after dinner so he worked a very long day and I think a, a very solid work ethic would you d- would your
3: dad do for a living
11: he was a managing partner of a, an accounting firm at the end of his career
3: he was the managing partner of an accounting firm did you get an allowance when you were a kid
11: no no allowance why um, it was never even a consideration I mean we this money was just not uh, something that was given away for doing nothing you had to do things what
3: did you learn from not having an allowance
11: if you wanted to have money to do something you needed to go out and earn it and that's how you were gonna get your your funds
3: so must have been difficult but looking back on it if, if you could have given yourself an allowance then would you have would you have left it the way it was?
11: I think I would have left it the way it was. Why? Because I'm, I'm pretty proud of, of uh, the ethics that that helped create, um, that there is nothing free. There's no free lunch. You need to go out, and you need to work, and you need to get to earn what you deserve to earn for the work and value that you're putting back into it.
1: Hmm.
3: Married or single? I am married. you have any kids?
11: I have one son and uh-huh. one daughter, both adults.
3: Similarity between being a president and being a dad?
11: That's a that's a tough question. I would say um, I rely I rely on my wife to provide the uh, the, the ground rules and uh, that's it's probably one of the best decisions I ever made.
3: Uh-huh. What's the website address of this organization known as ASM Research?
11: ASMR.com.
3: Let me have that one more time, please.
11: ASMR.com.
3: We've been speaking with John Fraser, president of ASM Research here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website, it's executive Learn
13: more about our executive leaders. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. And your name is Ray Briscuso. And Ray, what organization? Are you with? Life Sciences Conference Group. And what is Life Sciences Conference Group? What do you folks do? We produce annual conferences and events for medical technology, life science, pharmaceutical companies. Uh-huh.
3: So if I go to an event, you're the folks that are working behind the scenes to make it happen? That's correct.
13: We're yeah. the ones that make sure the food's on the table, the seats are there, soundstage and lights, have there. Your registration process works. And, and what kind of events are these? Are these just in the life science industry? Strictly in the life science industry. Why, why do you focus on the life science industry? Uh, we found that the best way to produce a high-quality event is to really know your customers. So we don't believe in numbers, it's names. We get to know each company. We find out what their actual mission and goals are, and we find the best way to deliver the value to them.
3: And are you doing this nationally or regionally?
13: We do it nationally. We are continuing to look for international opportunities, but it's primarily here in North America. And how old is this company? Uh, The company has just finished its 10th year. And how long have you been with the company? I founded the company 10 years ago. What gave you the idea to start this company? I used to work for a big corporation, and I produced the annual event for us. And when I decided to leave, they said, thank you for giving us $150 million worth of a business, and we'll see you later. Mm -hmm. And Next time I decided I would keep some ownership and do it myself. Uh, So you've you've been building this ever since. What do you like about your job? I like how different it is because we mix policy, we mix business. I might be putting one CEO together with a politician. I might be putting another CEO together with an investor. Mm-hmm. And I might be putting the next person together with their next employee. How interesting. What's
3: the website address for this organization?
13: Medtechconference.org. Let me have that one more time. Medtech conference.org. And the name of the organization again is? Life Sciences Conference Group. Life Sciences Conference Group. And your name is? Ray Briscuso.
3: Ray Briscuso. We've been talking to Ray Briscuso, CEO and managing partner of Life Sciences Conference Group here on Executive Leaders Radio. This has been your business spotlight.
1: I'm Tina Leone. I'm the CEO of the Boston Business Improvement District.
3: Uh, And what is the Boston Business Improvement District?
1: We work to attract, support, and connect the most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Boston is known as an episode. Center for Research and Discovery, Uh, some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the Internet. The first satellite. All were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston.
3: How, how old is this organization?
1: We're just, just shy of six years old.
3: How long have you been there? Been? Uh,
1: almost six years as well.
3: Did you found this organization?
1: Yes, I, I am the founding CEO.
3: Why did you do that?
1: Well, they, they, the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners why, in Boston.
3: Why does it turn you on? Why does your gig turn you on?
1: <laughs> people. I mean, we the 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 ability to connect people, and then who knows the next great idea is going to result from that we have incredible minds in the Washington DC area and Boston is as I said the epicenter for the smartest people in this area
3: so your job you're like the master connector
1: I feel like the mayor of, of Boston the mayor of innovation because that's uh-huh.
3: what's happening so your idea your, th- your thought is that in order to create more stuff in order to launch more businesses in order to cause more good it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people
1: exactly
3: and you like being in the middle of all that I, stuff. oh
1: we love it we love it and simple things just connecting people through events, through art, uh, through a happy hour. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's going to come out of that. Mm-hmm. That's what's exciting.
3: So it's all about the people and you're the uh, you're the founder of this organization. Is this a 9 to 5 kind of job oh, for you? Oh, hell
1: no. It's a lot longer uh-huh. than that, baby. So
3: do you have to you have to work the weekends and stuff yeah, like that? sure, sure. Let me have the website address of this sure, organization. It's
1: Bostonbid.com and, and you can download the Boston Connect mobile app.
3: Let me have uh, let me have that website address one more time.
1: Bostonbid.com
3: it's B-A, give me the spelling on that.
1: B-A-L-L-S-T-O-N-B-I-D.com.
3: Excellent. And your name again is? Tina Leone. And the name of the organization? Is the Bolson Business Improvement District. And this has been your business spotlight back in a moment. One help building your business with help from the show's CEOs. Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money. All the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that. Some of the CEOs who have appeared on our shows over the last 10 years may be willing to help you grow, assuming you're serious about your success, serious about your own success, because it all starts with the leader. If you're serious about creating your own successful business or truly committed to putting your nose to the grindstone and doing whatever it takes to make your business successful, we may be able to match you with successful CEOs who have created millions of jobs and earned millions of dollars to help you create your success. We've established unique relationships with a unique universe of over 7,000 CEOs who have created substantial wealth for their companies, their teams, and themselves. These women and men get the build in their blood and often continue to start and build businesses even after they've created substantial wealth for themselves because they love the challenge of building a business. Perhaps we can present you and your business to some of these CEOs to gain their interest in helping you. Now, email mentors at executive That's mentors at executive to hopefully match you with some of the CEOs we've had on the show for the last 10 years. Mentors at executive We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Tom Stauber and Mike Chivera, managing partners and co founders of Axiologic Solutions. What is Axiologic Solutions? What are you guys doing?
14: The Axiologic Solutions, we're a systems engineering services provider to the federal com- uh, government, largely uh, supporting uh,
3: intelligence and defense customers. How large or how small is the organization? We
14: uh, we have about 110 folks today, an uh, additional 100, uh, 100 or so subcontractors.
3: And you guys started this, you guys co-founded this business? Yes. Uh-huh. Mike, where are you from originally? Um, I'm originally from Powell, Wyoming. And how many brothers and sisters? Uh, I grew up with three sisters. And you're the oldest of three, right? I'm the oldest of uh, Uh, four, yes. Oldest of four, excuse me. And uh, tell us a little bit about what your mother did and what your mother did to you. Um,
15: My mother, when I was very young, uh, pushed myself uh, to, uh, pushed myself at school, said, you know, if I wanted to get out of the town, I wanted to get out of of that work of what we're doing there, you know, I needed to go to school. And so at a very young age, uh, she got me... uh, Got me a library card and got me a bunch of books. And for a summer, I had to read to her and tell her what I was reading, and as as well as math books as well. So what happened to your uh, grades and your status in the class that so summer? So that they I went from the back of the class to the front of the class. Um, I went in uh, not. I, w- I started school not speaking span uh, only speaking Spanish. Um, ended up uh, you know learning English while I was in school. Where's your mom from? Uh, my mom's also from Mexico. Uh huh yeah she's first generation
3: mexican isn't she yes uh-huh what did her parents do uh her parents
15: uh they were they were initially migrant workers ended, ended up, up going t-
3: yeah they were following the food uh, fruit food on the crops yeah uh-huh. they
15: they s- that's how they ended up in wyoming following the crops and okay. then uh you know
3: they ended up uh
15: uh-huh. you know cleaning banks and and doing odd jobs around powell mm-hmm.
3: whatever they could do to make a living tom how about yourself where are you from uh,
15: from uh, northern Westchester County, New York,
14: a town called Cortland Manor.
3: How many brothers and sisters? I have
14: one younger brother.
3: Uh-huh. And what was going on with you about 13, The age 13?
14: You know, 13, that's when I was getting into high school. Um, I basically was transitioning. For me, 13 was tough because I, I made the decision to go to a school that was further away from home, had to connect to a couple of public buses, Had an, had like basically an hour and a half long commute to get there.
3: Uh, why would you and went against it, kind of would, the grain with the why rest? Why would you make of, it difficult on yourself?
14: Yeah, I, the rest of my classmates they were going to uh, schools that were more local. Uh, I looked at those and didn't see the same level of opportunity in terms of where where kind of some of the public schools were going, as well as some of the the local private schools where uh, the kids didn't necessarily develop. So you're in the same 13
3: way as and you're looking. You're you're not trying to take the easy route out. You're making it. You know, you want the opportunity. You're willing to work hard for it. At the age of 13, you
6: decided what school you wanted to go to. Bob? That's interesting, Tom, that with the uh, idea of going against the grain. Did that apply when you got into the military and wound up uh, doing explosive ordnance disposal intelligence in Afghanistan?
14: I mean, as I kind of said earlier before we got into this, is you don't really get to decide whether you go against the grain, but it's, it's good to embrace, right? So what the military does is, every every two to three years you're going to get into something that that maybe you don't have experience in so that that kind of entices me and that that's something to live for because you get into it and it's always something new and exciting
6: mike i wanted to ask you know your mother pushed you and your partnership with tom do you push him or does he push you too
15: i think we push each other um i see uh you know tom always you know he's asked me things that i may not have thought of and likewise you know i think i asked tom different things about you know hey have you thought about this and so we approach problems from two different directions and uh, I think it's it's basically helped develop our culture overall. Mhm. Surely?
0: Tell me a little bit about the roles you each play within your firm.
15: Well, initially when we got started, you know, we were both billing in the company. It was just the two of us. Um, as we've grown, you know, now we've we are more we're managing people right now. Uh, I think right now we're more focused on the culture of the company, make sure that's developing properly as well as the overall strategy of where the company's going to go from here.
0: And mm-hmm. what are the differences that you bring to the table?
15: Uh, differences, you know, I think it's, like I said, our approach to how we are, you know, the different challenges we have at work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we may look at it from a financial perspective, but then we have to look at it from the human aspect of it
4: as mm-hmm. well. Mork? Uh, Mike and Tom, what kind of books or movies did you guys enjoy as kids?
14: So, uh, while I have a lot of books and a lot of films and obviously a lot of things that I got into as a child, I don't, I don't know... Uh, that I necessarily identify with a specific book or theme. Mm-hmm. Obviously, science fiction, fantasy yeah. was probably the biggest.
15: Mm-hmm. Right, and and for me, uh, you know, I grew up, you know, working on a farm, working on a ranch. So I'd spend hours by myself out and, mm-hmm. you know, out in the farm by myself. And uh, what I would do is I would always have books with me, and a lot of them were fantasy. A lot of J.R. Tolkien, um, a lot of different Shannar books. Game of Thrones was a big one that I've read now several times.
4: <laughs> H- How does that relate to the kind of Culture or the business that you're in right now.
15: I think you know Tom alluded to it earlier. It's it's you know I think it's understanding that you know there's an underdog that kind of gets through challenges. You know, you know they may not have all the you know different um, uh, different things that mm-hmm. you know some of the characters in this books have. Brian,
2: uh, gentlemen, if we could talk a little bit about how you you, you guys start first started making money as 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 kids effectively um maybe mike want to go first perhaps sure talk a little bit about it
15: um yeah so i alluded to earlier as you know i I started making money about 10 years old Uh, i was mowing lawns Uh, my dad also took me out on the farm Uh, i was driving a truck he taught me how to drive a truck by the time i was 12 (laughs) and uh you know once i got that figured out he's like great now you can start irrigating and so I was at a very early age, I learned the importance of a work ethic.
2: And you learned also that you wanted to uh, pursue an education and then I and move on from it I that. did. Uh, you
15: know, I didn't realize uh, how difficult that, that type of work is. It's long hours. Mm-hmm. And you know, my mom also pushed us, like, if you don't want to do it, mm-hmm. you need to get an education.
14: And Tom? And for me, I think maybe not the first time making money, but uh, certainly one of the bigger influences was about 13, 14 years of age. I remember in the early stages of high school, we got into Junior Achievement where we actually stood up and ran our own business. We had like the full suite of, of C-level folks and just kind of running all of the aspects and determine how all of that does and doesn't work.
2: And that was that was something which interested you.
14: It, it was. It was because it's it was fun to be able to be a 13 or 14 year old and dive into data and figure out where you can find the arbitrage make things work look at margins how how businesses can be successful
2: and you guys are both have an engineering background right and yes. you both decide at one point that uh military service would be a good place right after school or during school really yes to uh to sort of build up on your opportunities
14: yeah so um Obviously, Mike was a Navy guy. I was an Army guy. We can decide which one's better, but we know. Um, it's still out there. Right? It <laughs> it's not out there. It's 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 set uh, at least for the past three years. But looking at that, we we went to um, to the University of Virginia together. We we ran through a systems engineering program together. The one thing that we have like minded is is we're fairly analytical in the way that we look at data and things and understand that there is. There is kind of a, a tactile thing that's there. That's, it's not abstract that you can look at that helps you understand business decisions and how things run. Good.
3: So uh, you guys have been working together for how many years now? Uh, for
15: 10 years uh, this April. And are you equal partners? Uh, no, Tom is uh, the majority owner. Uh, you know, he's a service-abled vet. And uh-huh. so, you know, doing the operating agreements and following all the rules uh, uh-huh. he has to have. Uh, Do you guys enjoy working with each other? most days (laughs) Uh uh-huh do you guys trust each other i do i trust tom implicitly
14: we do we do i'm not afraid to turn my back to mike
3: (laughs) so it's not it's interesting in business you don't usually hear that you hear about people suing each other and blood and guts and people cheating each other that's not the way you guys are though no i mean we were friends first um you know i
15: learned to work with tom at uva i mean we went through a very grueling program but it's very rewarding Mm -hmm. um you know we were i worked in a
3: Mike didn't you tell me you one of your sisters works with you or something like that She does She you know, does What, what did she think of Tom I think
15: she likes working for him a lot more than she likes working for me
3: Wait 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 wait, wait <laughs> give me that again She likes working
15: for him a lot more than me So she, so your family likes him Yes yes What what do they like about him Um what do they like about him I yeah. think uh you know he's you know he's pretty honest when it comes to like what she's doing and things like that Um I think uh you know I was always was the protector growing up um, always looked out for my sisters but I also was a good practical joker so they're my first victims Uh, (laughs) so my sisters are always you know I think she's a little nervous that you know something might happen maybe
3: she maybe (laughs) she feels safer with Tom than she did exactly Uh yeah so you guys really enjoy working together we do It, it is a fun environment What do you mean it's a fun environment? You usually don't hear that about business.
15: Uh, You know, it's something that, you know, I've I've been in positions where, you know, I wake up in the mornings, I'm not excited to go to work. Um, Mm -hmm. For the last 10 years, I haven't had that experience. What do you mean? I, I mean, I enjoy being the guy in charge i enjoy making these decisions Mm -hmm. everybody that we've hired fits into our culture Mm -hmm. um you know Mm -hmm. it's it's a group a good bunch of people that we work with
3: what's the website address for this organization known as axiologic solutions axiologic com.
15: spell that please a x i o l o g i c s -S 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 o l
3: u t i o n s Com. Com. Sounds like your mother did a good job at the library with you that <laughs> summer. We've been speaking with uh, Tom Stauber and Mike Chavira, managing partners and co-founders of Axiologic Solutions here on Executive Leaders Radio. Mark, can you give us a rundown on who we've had on the air today, please?
4: Sure, Herb. Today we had Martin Mayorga, president of Mayorga Organics, Jeff Shen, president of Red Team Consulting, John Fraser, president of ASM Research, and Martin Mike Chavira and Tom Stauber of Axiologic Solutions.
3: Excellent. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, including Joe Applebaum Potomac Companies, Brian Chandler Pretoria Law, Mark Haas, Association for Enterprise Growth, Bob Sprague, Yes and, and Shirley Marie Hertzbach & Company for giving me hand, structuring the questions, hope, you're providing our listening audience an educational and entertaining show. I'd like to thank our listening audience for listening. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a radio show. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders,